0: I say, give it a try. Like, if it if you don't have high startup costs, give it a try and see where it goes. You never know what's what's gonna. You know, you never know what tomorrow's gonna bring.
1: That's Gareth Yoder talking about the business he started with his fiance Joy Beam earlier this year, Cedar Meadow Meats in Chester County, PA, and they're my guests on this week's Young Farmer Podcast. I'm Chris Torres. Thanks for listening. After striking out on creating a Fitbit for beef cattle, Gareth and Joy decided that local beef was their sweet spot, and with COVID-19 creating a new renaissance for locally grown foods, they found an eager audience for their locally grown beef. I visited Gareth and Joy recently on their farm just outside Elverson, and we chatted about what they learned during their first year in business and how they hope to grow the business in the future. Thanks for listening. You guys did a crazy thing that you actually launched a business in the middle of this crazy year. What was that all about? <laughs> we'll get to that answer in a few minutes um, for the listeners, for listeners who are, who are going to listen to this podcast and actually wonder why these two people actually launched a business in the middle of a pandemic here. But before we do that, before we get into your um, into the crux of what we're going to talk about here, give me a little bit of your background. So Joy, why don't you go ahead and start off?
2: Sure. So my background, I grew up on a farm here, my family's farm. We do cattle and hogs. We have a feedlot and then a fair to finish hog operation. So that would be my background. And then I went to Penn State, got my degree in animal science, and then started working for King's Seeds. So I've been with them for three years now. And, um, yeah, my territory would be a portion of the East Coast, including New Jersey and the Del Morva.
1: Awesome, awesome. And then, Gareth, what's your background?
0: Yeah, so my background, I come from a non-agricultural family, um, but I have a technology background, I went to Penn State and got my bachelor's in information sciences and technology, and then went on and got my masters in master's of business administration, so my MBA.
1: Well represented here at Penn State. This ought to be like a Penn State podcast. Yeah. I went to yeah. Penn State. You guys went to Penn State, so we are. That's good stuff. All right. So so take me through this because uh, this is a really interesting story that you guys have in starting this official business. Um, before we get into get into Cedar Meadows. Meets, which is the official name of the business, Okay, why don't we go ahead and, and talk a little bit about why you guys decided to get into this, why you guys actually decided to launch this venture. And this, from what I read, this has taken you from an idea that you actually thought about at Penn State through their Idea Lab, has taken you down to Texas, and now back to here yeah. <laughs> in Chester gonna, County.
2: I'm gonna let Gareth go ahead with this question. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so it, it all started as I was helping Joy out in the fields last summer and one of the one of the ideas that I had was could is there a way that we can detect if a steer is healthy or not based on their activity? And I thought, well what when, can when, we...
1: when you when you mean healthy, define that. Like I'm not really sure what you mean by that. Go ahead and define that. What do you mean by healthy?
0: So Based on their habits, are they exhibiting good uh, dis- displays of are they grazing, like their grazing time, uh, how much they're in one position, uh, based on their neck movements and their mobility. So to trying to determine health from different uh, activities that they're doing throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And so to build this out, we actually strapped a smartphone onto one of the steer's neck for a given period of time an actual smartphone and we, and we used the an the iphone Excel- or an android an android an android <laughs> yeah <laughs> we used the accelerometer and gyroscope and we collected data we 10 data points per second and then i fed them through some infra, artificial intelligence algorithms and came up with around 85% accuracy that we could detect their movement now we didn't take it to the step of the of the health yet but we could successfully determine if they were walking or if they were standing still or if they were grazing or not based on their their movements from the smartphone
1: wow and this was all app based everything was app based
0: so we used the smartphone to capture the data okay. that we fed into an algorithm right that used to determine what their activity was, so right? Okay,
1: but I mean, on the smartphone though, was it app based? Did you use an app to actually detect that data, or how yep, did you? Yeah, we you... used
0: a, a random. Uh, we used basically a free app that's okay. on the app store that just collects uh, sensor data from the okay. smartphone.
1: Okay. Interesting. Wow. And you were collecting that data from these cattle.
0: For, yeah, we picked out one. We just we started with one, mm-hmm. and we recorded like video recorded the cattle matched mm-hmm. the timestamp up with, with the, the gyroscope. With that's the gyroscope. what the user, okay. And so I basically watched back the video, matched up the actions to the, to what the steer was doing and then fed it back through and, and could determine the accuracy of, of the algorithm.
1: That is really interesting. How did you guys come up with that idea? Mm-hmm. And, and why did you guys go, why did you guys decide you wanted to actually do that?
0: I did it for myself to see if I could <laughs> <laughs> like that's, so- that's kind of my logical mind. That's just, I like to challenge myself with with that type of thing.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the entrepreneur side of Gareth, but then also it's kind of the idea of a Fitbit, the same idea of a Fitbit on a human. Right. So um, that's the idea we originally started with that we took to Penn State Berks. And then Penn State Berks gave us a grant um, to explore that idea and everything. So
0: And we did client discovery as part of the grant. So we had to go out. And look at potential markets. And that led us down to the NCBA mm-hmm. uh, in Texas, cattle mm-hmm. convention in Texas in the beginning of February. In
1: the beginning of this February. Okay. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. So, um, when you say client discovery, then, so were you actually, so you discovered that there were clients out there. Who were your potential clients for this sort of technology?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of fits for it. Um, I mean, for, I, I'll say, ranchers out on the range that have cattle. Um, I'll say five miles from their property, if they can Mm -hmm. have something telling them that they have a sick calf out there, that can, if if they know that and treat it a day early, a a day is money, time is money. (laughs) Right. So that's money in the pocket. And then uh, the same with like a a cow-calf herd, we thought that maybe we could figure out when cows were going to calve. And that way that would save on night checks. But the real dilemma is we went to Texas and um, there's actually a lot of companies exploring this idea and they are far more advanced than we were (laughs) Um, so we were hoping that we could maybe do a cheaper model of it and cut the price on the same type of technology. But, um, we discovered it would take a lot to do that. So, right.
0: Right. It'd take a lot of time, a lot of resources that we just didn't have available to us at the time. Mm -hmm. So we challenged ourselves with, well, what can we do with the resources that we do have? Like what, what's something that's obtainable for us?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And, then and that's this where is we... where this is where you got into into the actual marketing of local beef.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, so so tell me, so now you go down to Texas, and did you guys first off, how long were you actually down there? I mean, you were at the National Cattlemen's Beef Convention. Yeah. So how long were you actually down? How long is that convention? I should
2: know this off the top of my head, but I don't. I'm sorry. So how long <laughs> no, were you good. actually down there for that? So it, we were down there for I don't know three days or so.
0: Okay. So we went. We flew down Monday night and stayed through. Friday okay. yeah
2: but the real thing that the real kick um to get us thinking about starting a retail beef is we did a farm tour mm-hmm. it's called 44 farms they're based out of Texas okay. but they do this on like a much larger scale so they're actually selling their beef to Walmart so they have a contract with Walmart Walmart is testing it out in several stores but uh of course USA produced beef from 44 farms and the real thing too is 44 farms they use a all their own genetics, but they don't do any grass-fed behind it or any organic. It's just U.S. raised beef and quality beef. And they're still able to capture that direct market. And at that point, I was like, Gareth and I were like, well, if they can do it without any extra tags, any grass-fed, organic, whatever, why can't we do that? So that's kind of when we were like, well, let's ditch this. I'll call it the Fitbit idea. And let's focus on what we do have and um, start with the low-hanging fruit.
0: Yeah. And it was pretty cool this the speakers in the one session they really emphasized the need for promoting local beef Mm -hmm. and the fact that consumers nowadays want to know where their food comes from Mm -hmm. and so that was one thing that we wanted to keep as a goal and a mission as we started uh our cedar meadow meats
1: yeah yeah i just just the pivot from from what you were going to (laughs) do to the local to to then going into retail Boy, that's a heck of a pivot in about a week
2: yeah, it is. I, and, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I say I mean it's not our new idea. Like there's plenty of people out there yeah. using the same model. So it's something I had always kind of thought about, like right. and, and knew about. But until that point I was like, Well, we're not grass fed, we're not organic, we're not right. whatever. But
1: And you had been backgrounding cattle. For for the background for the listeners who are on this, you have been backgrounding cattle for a while now. Right. Okay.
2: Mhm. Yeah, so we've had the feedlot on the farm for a long time, and then uh, we started backgrounding them on grass several years ago. So we always had that section, or I, I guess for the past three years, we've had that that part of the program.
1: Okay, okay. So, was that your father's business then? Your father, Nelson, was that your father's part of your father's business then, or was that something that was that your thing, the backgrounding portion of it?
2: My dad and I are partners in, in the backgrounding part. Okay, got so, it, got it, got yep, it. Got I kind of manage the backgrounding part, and then he manages the feedlot.
1: Okay, so, got it, got it. So you go to Texas, you get this great idea, which by the way is a wonderful idea. You. you come back up to Pennsylvania. So we're thinking what about late February maybe, early March?
0: Yeah, so down in February, Joy's like, Well what what would it take to do this? And I said, Well, I can spin up a website for you in about two to three weeks. <laughs> like this yeah. is what I enjoy doing. This is my this is my strong suit. So you know, I'll take a stab at and, and get something out there. And you know, using using Amazon Web Services and, and my work experience from work. And I was able to have something up in pretty sh- quick time. And the one cool thing, you know, Joy, I was throwing a couple uh, ideas around, and Joy says, can we do this cheaper? Or Can we make this more efficient? And that was one thing that challenged me as I was developing this was, how can we create something that doesn't have a huge uh, overhead price? right. And you're talking about the technology side. The technology side. Right, right, right. And how were you the able website. to do that? So the yeah. main thing is is, is creating just a, a serverless web website that doesn't require uh, a back-end server to constantly be running. And and, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really cool what Amazon provides out there for local consumers. And so most people could pay a couple hundred dollars a, a year for a website, and we can do it for less than $20. mm hmm
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll I'll say, too, at the beginning, when we first started beef, if somebody would have asked me if the website was beneficial, I I think I said no, actually. I was like, I'm not sure it's doing much for us. I can refer people to the website to look at our prices and everything, but I'm not sure. It's really doing a whole lot. Now, six months later, I would say it has been awesome because we have people that just come across our website, and they'll ask for comments or put in a request for beef, and we have, yeah, random people visiting it all the time, so... It's definitely drawn in a lot of people, and I'd say too for anybody out there that is doing the same model as us. If you have the resources to get a website, seriously consider it because if you plan to do it long term, it's super beneficial. Okay. So.
1: But the back, but but the business itself. Before you guys decided to go into retail beef cuts and all that sort of thing, um, you were backgrounding these cattle as part of the partnership with your dad. So then, tell me about how. Um, how it evolved into the retail part, in terms of what you had to do to actually evolve this into the retail portion of the business.
2: Yeah, so obviously Gareth made the website and then past that I launched, I guess an introduction on Facebook. Facebook mm-hmm. is the other marketing tool we really use because it's free, um, but did that. And then I'll say the first steer we sold was really hard to sell. Mm-hmm. So we, we had somebody that sold that wanted a quarter and was definitely committed to that quarter, but then like the other three quarters like well how do we move that <laughs> how do we move that portion of a steer and um actually a friend bailed us out on on that so we were able to move one for i'll say the first sale right um but then then COVID hit and yeah things changed <laughs> you
1: had you had steers that were essentially ready to sell at that point then is what i understand yes you had some steers that were essentially ready to sell and you were ready pretty much excuse me you were ready to pretty much cut up these animals into the quarters and halves and whatever the consumer wanted am i correct on that you you had you had a stock ready for that at that point
2: oh yeah okay
1: so it was just a matter of just you guys just getting your word out there then
2: yeah pretty Mm -hmm. much yeah so i mean like our our (coughs) steers generally go to jbs the Mm -hmm. the processing plant close by Um, That's where they always go. So our theory was, well, we'll try and sell steers, but if we don't sell them, then we'll just sell them like we normally do. And that was our original business model. So at that point, it's like, well, we really didn't lose anything. Even if we don't sell a steer, we really didn't lose anything. So it's all kind of icing on the cake.
1: Right. I got it. And then COVID hit, and then JBS closed for two weeks.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, how,
1: did that, how did that affect you?
2: <laughs> well, I, I can tell you both ends of it. So um, as a pr- feedlot producer, that was terrible because uh, we, we figured out that those two weeks probably cost us $500 a head. Wow. Um, we had a load that we probably would have sent during that time frame. And um, of course we couldn't. And um, just- and
1: there was really no other place to take him because JBS really is the place in this region. Yeah. I mean, not just right. this area in this entire region. Right. I mean, cargos in Northern Pennsylvania. There's a couple others, but in terms of the size and scope, JBS is really the place to go.
2: Right. Exactly. <clears throat> and then prices really dropped, obviously. So our break even, I generally say is about a dollar, give or take. And prices because of COVID and, labor shortage and plants were closed, went down to like 95 cents. So yeah, the markets really crashed um, from a producer standpoint and that wasn't good. But from the retail standpoint, demand skyrocketed because there wasn't beef on the grocery store shelves. Yeah, and, sure. I mean, everybody I talk to who does the same model as us, I mean, they, they've had increased business through the roof. So even though there's a lot of people selling retail beef, there is way more demand out there and people just want beef. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: Sure. So we were pretty much claiming once COVID hit and the beef shortages started happening and the prices went sky high in the grocery stores, we started having to claim any open butcher spots. Yeah. That soon became our weakest point was that we couldn't get the steers processed by the local butcher. Sure. Because everybody else was... Because they were already... Yeah, yeah. exactly. Was filling up. But exactly. we, we were able to get... Quite a few spots in mm-hmm. and we started booking ahead three, mm-hmm. four five months out mm-hmm. because we knew that we would have that demand.
1: Did you have to find, did you have to go far and wide to actually find spots? I mean, or were you able to actually find some local butchers around here that could do it for you?
2: Yeah, we were able to find local butchers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we maybe didn't have our first choice mm-hmm. butcher for the entire time, but we've gotten animals butchered for ourselves before. So we kind of knew who was out there. So yeah. that was, that was huge, but we definitely used a handful of butchers now, so we're familiar with yeah <laughs> more than one yeah but. yeah yeah.
1: I mean, I, I remember that time like it was yesterday. I mean, it was just almost like the Wild West at that point. Oh yeah, so yeah. wow, interesting. So you get past those two weeks, and then did you go back to JBS then? Did you start taking animals back to JBS when they when they reopened then? I mean, yeah, we did. You essentially, stayed with them.
2: Yep, yep. Okay. So, um, yeah, we've we've been sending loads to JBS since, but the other interesting part is with um the farm package payouts from the government mm-hmm. supporting agriculture they had they had a time frame on there that any cattle sold i'll say i think it was like march 15th to april 15th uh, got i'll say 100 bucks per head premium but if you only had an, an inventory it was 20 bucks and actually the load we would have sent during those two weeks would have been within the higher price time frame but since JBS was closed it went out a week after that time frame okay so um, just, just interesting.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. Yep. Okay, so about that time then. So, so then, so then again, it's a lot to actually, you know, get a business going. And you guys are starting to get this thing going in the middle of a pandemic. Tell me a little bit about, you know, just um, packaging and all that sort of thing. I mean, how did you actually handle that packaging, marketing, um, getting the word out there to customers in the middle of this, you know, pretty tough time that we were in? How did you guys handle that?
2: Yeah. So. I'll say one of our biggest sales tools was a sign at the end of the road. <laughs> so <laughs> just a simple handmade sign. And that drew in the local customer base. Mm-hmm. But then Gareth did some some website pushes and we did some Facebook po- pushes. And then, um, of course, the article through Penn State Berks was huge for us too mm-hmm. at getting a bigger customer clientele.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting.
0: For sure. Yeah. And the biggest thing for us was in the articles was pushed. The local, um, promoting the local beef, as well as then calling out our website. So then people would go to the website, and then they could see the pictures, they could read our story, and start to become familiar with who we were. And that was really the goal then, from the, the from the beginning back in February.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. then when when people actually went onto the website, can they actually order through the website? Mm-hmm. They, can. they could order through the website. So okay.
0: There's a submission form where you would choose your selection size, quarter, half, or whole, Mm -hmm. and then it would send an email to myself, and then I would reach back out and start arranging the payment details with the person, answer any open questions that they would have. And the cool thing is, is that there could be four different people that don't even know each other that are all splitting the steer, and we would bring those four people together Mm -hmm. so that they could get that local beef but don't have to have that large commitment of a 14 hundred pound animal they could get a quarter of it right and still you know split it with four other people that they went
1: that's really interesting
0: previously known
1: that's really interesting so if i come off the street and i say you know i want half of the steer i need beef i need half of the steer you can automatically hook that up yep and i don't have to have the commitment of one whole animal you can split that up with other people who are actually looking for maybe a quarter or whatever correct that is really interesting. And then
2: it's our job to make sure the other half gets sold. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. We can't kill half a steer. <laughs> yeah.
1: From a farm management standpoint, from a, we're talking about the farm management now, from a farm management standpoint, actually managing these animals, what is that like? What is that like shifting from you know essentially a market where you're you're sending these cattle straight to the slaughterhouse, and that's pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. but now you're doing management where you're actually you know having to keep track of who's going to be having the quarter, keep track of who's going to be having the half, keep track of who wants the whole. How do you shift that in terms of a farm management standpoint? What did you have to do?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, our production practices stayed the same, so we still have raised the beef the same way. So that didn't, that didn't change. And
1: you're not organic. You're not, you know, strictly grass fed and you put that out there.
2: Yeah. We put that out there. And I mean, honestly people just, yeah, people just want beef. And I mean, the big thing right now is local and people do want to support local farmers and, uh, the the other thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is all of our high choice and prime beef on on the market is sold overseas. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to find prime beef on the grocery store shelves. You're not going to find it. Well, you might find it at a restaurant, but um, it's it's hard to get. So if a consumer wants quality beef, one of the few ways to get it is buying it directly from the farmer. Right. And I mean that's the same whether you're organic, grass fed, or conventional like we are. Right. So um. Yeah, that's that's been really cool, and we've definitely had questions from consumers asking, you know, like what we feed our animals. Oh, you feed corn. Oh, and maybe they don't think that's great, but then then it's a good opportunity that we can start educate educating our consumers, and um, I think that's one thing we need to do as an industry really educate our consumers where beef come from comes from, and that any type of beef is really wholesome quality
1: food. Mm-hmm. So, how did you set up your packaging? I mean, how did you set up yeah. your your all that all that sort of thing? I mean, how how did you did you have to jump through any hoops to actually set up packaging, set up labeling and all that sort of thing? How did that work out for you?
2: Yeah, actually not. So the cool thing is um, working with these local butchers, the, the local butchers are awesome and they do all the processing for us and all the packaging. They do it in a vacuum sealed package. Um, they put on stickers for us and then the our customer works with them and, and tells them the custom cuts they want and um, picks up the beef and yeah, it's a pretty good system.
1: Right, right, right. And your original seed stock for your animals actually comes from Texas. Am I correct?
2: So most of them actually come from Virginia. We we Virginia. buy the cattle. Yeah, we buy the cattle in. Uh, if we're doing the stalker program, we buy them in at five hundred fifty pounds. About if we're buying them in for the feedlot, it's more like seven hundred fifty pounds.
1: And they come from Harrisonburg. Is that where, like, the Harrisonburg area, yeah, Winchester area? Winchester. Is that where they come from? Okay, yep. okay. Mm-hmm. So the Shenandoah Valley down there. Okay. Yep. okay. how how did you set that up? I mean, did you just set that up with somebody? I mean, how is that? I mean, did you, do you have like an agreement with somebody or you just go to like to, to a sale? I mean, how do you,
2: (laughs) yeah, there's a big sales barn down there and we work with uh, a guy down there who, he, he buys a lot of cattle for us. He knows kind of what we're looking for, our price range and he buys cattle for us and then we have them shipped up and that's a system we've been using for a long time with our feedlot. So Mm -hmm. that's a system we already had in place.
1: Yeah. And this goes into my next question. When you're thinking about, you know, when you think about raising these animals in a retail situation, which is what you guys are doing then, does that change your thinking in terms of what sort of animals you're looking for?
2: Yeah, we try to send out our best ones. <laughs>
0: um. So right before they're ready to send a load to JBS, Joy will always pick out the the top steers, the right. top best looking steers. And she says, well, I'm keeping these for the retail outlet. Right. But we give them the... the Top grade yeah and it's, yeah.
2: it is reflected in how it tastes then coming off the grill right so with with the marbling and the thickness of steak and how they cut out
1: are they prime <laughs> I hope so we, we
2: our butchers don't actually grade them so they're not officially right. graded but when we send them to JBS most like 90% of them are grading choice and then we would have a number that grade prime as well interesting so interesting.
1: Yeah so how did you guys do in your first year sufficiently your first year you know obviously we're in the fall then I mean how yep. would you guys say that your first year was in this business
0: I would say it was a big success mm-hmm. joy had kind of the, an aspirational number and I said dream bigger
2: what
1: was <laughs> what was the aspirational number
2: uh, what was it three? I, th-
0: I think you said three I want yeah. to sell three steers this year
2: I said if we sell three steers I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think we did, I think at l- around nine, I around least. nine. And That's then,
2: wonderful. yeah, my dad had, has a few customers that he serves every year. And he of course had those and, um, a couple other beef were sold off the farm too. So that was just ours through our, our program. Um, and yeah, we already have spots taken for December and then May of 2021. So wow.
1: good for you guys.
2: The demand is out there. The demand is out crazy. there and we're,
0: we're already locking in next year, our butcher spots, right? And that's super important because now we're going to make sure we get our first choice butcher, get them locked in. Mm-hmm. And then we're also going to expand into hogs. Yeah. Awesome.
2: We, we have hogs on the farm too, and people have been requesting hogs. So that's another thing we can offer.
1: So you're going to change the name to Cedar Meadow.
0: Well, it's Cedar Meadow Meat.
1: Cedar right Meadow now. Meats. So you think that's going to cover, you think it's going to encompass everything then pretty well then? Or
2: I think so. We have yeah. to add a pork page to the website and, you know, kind of. Okay. Add that up. But, okay. Uh,
1: what sort of what sort of hogs are we talking about? I mean, what do you what do you have?
2: So they're Yorkshire based. Mm-hmm. So you're white pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. They're they're crossbreds, but white pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, we sell them to Hatfield traditionally. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. You're a
1: third generation farmer, am I correct?
2: I'd be a third generation. Yeah. You'd be
1: a third generation farmer. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about. Um, you know, we're going to get into more of the nitty gritty here about leasing in a, in a few minutes. Because I know you wanted to cover that, but talk to me a little bit about. What your aspirations have been? Have you always wanted to wanted to be in the farming community? Have you always wanted to... Did you have any other aspirations other than that? Or was farming really your deal?
2: That's a good question. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'd say I've always definitely loved the farm. My dad's done a great job of letting us kids kind of have a place on the farm and speaking to problems we see and problems we want to improve on right. the farm. And he's really open to that, which I give my dad a lot of credit for getting us involved. But, yeah, I've been driving tractors since probably age 10 or 12 and then working with the hogs and um cattle since and yeah it's something i have a passion for um i love seeing things improve Mm -hmm. and seeing that little things you can do really add up to i'll say higher productivity or better efficiency and then hopefully translate into more dollars in your pocket so it's been really cool
1: right and non non non-ag background so that's correct (laughs) I i thought
0: i knew a lot growing up in lancaster county but then I met Joy and realized there's a whole nother level.
2: <laughs> but he don't let Gareth fool you. He he does know a lot about ag and he he knows the markets very well. Yeah, which is yeah. half of the game.
1: And you guys have a great combination. I mean, of course, with you, with your information, with your degrees and mm-hmm. your background in technology, and then of course with your background in the ag rule, you guys have a nice combination here. Well, thank Good you. To do well. That's great. That's thank great. You. Now let's get into a little bit about uh, about leasing. You were talking to me a little bit earlier about leasing, and I know that's a particular issue around this area. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, you guys are obviously in your third year of leasing land over at um, Wybrook Farm, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, made the news many a years, couple years ago because um, they had the restaurant and they had all that sort of thing. And then they close that business down. You guys have been leasing the property for, for a couple of years now, but talk to me a little bit about leasing and about your struggles with leasing and uh, and a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So I just want to touch on this because I, I know that there's a lot of producers that are in the same boat and it's tough because we're leasing on a year to year basis. And if you don't know if you're going to have the land or not the next year, why would you invest a 3 year payoff investment mm-hmm. when you know you you only have it for potentially another year so um yeah so it's it's been a great opportunity over there learned a lot but i'd say um the pastures could have definitely used some fertilization to really improve and the first year we got it, it just didn't make sense to apply nutrients because it, it who knew if it would pay off or not. And finally this year we did put on some manure, some high quality hog manure. <laughs> and um, yeah, the grass has done tremendous from it and the stuff we put on the spring, I'd say we're definitely getting our monies back on, but i um, not sure if we're going to have it next year or not. So not sure if we're going to get the total payback mm-hmm. from this application. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I know I work with quite a few producers in my job and a lot, a lot of them are on leases and it just doesn't make sense to apply fertilizer. But um, I know for the stuff we applied, I'd say we probably probably got most of it back. And it's just looking at places you can invest that you know you will get a return on. Sure. And but yeah, it's a tough game.
1: Yeah, and, and but but and and I only say that and I bring that up because I think it's very important because now you guys are in the retail business, mm-hmm. now you guys are going direct to market. So you know that has to have some sort of effect on your on your future planning to expand this part of the business, doesn't it? I mean the fact you know the leasing part of this. I mean yeah, the uncertainty of it
2: yeah for sure so i mean um we had pastures over there mm-hmm. so i i don't think we'll have that next year mm-hmm. but um we were able to learn kind of what that segment of the business can do for us and how bringing cattle in at a, a lower rate can really improve our profit margins so uh, we've been talking about how we can bring that same type of model back to the farm it's not going to look the same <laughs> um, nope. probably we don't have the land here for pastures but we can fence in a couple fields and sure. pot- potentially graze cover crops corn stover and then house them in like a some sort of barn so interesting looking at that for the future
0: cool
1: have you guys done any sort of business planning have you guys written out a business plan or anything now that you've really gotten it going or or
0: so for the for our first original idea we had to write a business plan Mm -hmm. and and that was helpful to go through that process it was a very long multi-page document with with how we you know all the different areas and i think Although, I don't know if we did it directly with our Cedar Meadow Meats, but those fundamentals have definitely echoed through all of our conversations. How so? About identifying your strengths, your weaknesses, what opportunities we want to look to to improve on, um, what are possible threats to our, our business. So, mm-hmm. picking those out and identifying them is something that that being in a partnership, we both have to be on on the same page about. Sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Let's dive into those a little bit. Cause like I said, I mean, you guys are, you know, done well for your first year, going to be going into your second year, you know, pretty soon here. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about the strengths, what you feel are the strengths and weaknesses of your business and, you know, going into your second year and what changes you're probably going to make.
0: I would say that the strength is right now, just our, our, our website combination where people can find us online and then, quickly get in contact with us just through a simple form submission
2: yeah i would say gareth's done an excellent job of making an a-plus marketing game Mm -hmm. uh, both with her website and then um, several article opportunities and then the other strength i think we have is we always have animals ready for market whether that's hogs or cattle right we always have animals ready to go so you just um, sell them right away yeah yeah we could yeah yeah so if anybody comes looking (laughs)
1: <laughs> so what are your, I mean, do you guys have any, besides the hogs, besides the hogs next year, I mean, what are you thinking in terms of anything else, you know, for this business?
2: Well, we got to do a several fundamental business uh, steps. So we need to um, formally make it a business. And maybe I'll let you talk about that more, Gareth.
0: Yeah, we'll be looking at the LLCs uh, setting up, some of those, that paperwork that has to be done. And we're going to be investing in that this fall.
1: The nitty gritty stuff that farmers would not want to do. Exactly. Farmers would rather not do.
0: Yeah. So we're, we're
1: looping (laughs) around and getting
0: that done. Right. And, and I think for next year, it's how do we keep promoting the brand Mm -hmm. and how, how do we keep promoting our story? How do we keep promoting that we are local and the benefits of buying local? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And you have a lot of competition.
2: There, there is a lot of competition. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people selling beef like we are and, but I think that's great. And I I would say there's still more demand out there that could be captured, Mm -hmm. but I I do think beef producers have done a really good job at stepping up to the increased demand from COVID and kind of filling in that gap where maybe the grocery stores couldn't. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely other people selling in, you know, even our local area, probably there's probably three within five minutes of us, but, um, I'd say we all kind of serve different networks of people Mm -hmm. and there is demand in all of them. People, people just want beef. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Quality beef. Yeah.
1: So, 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 you know, I I guess my, my final question would be, you know, for somebody um, there's a lot of young entrepreneurs out there, young entrepreneurs who are into agriculture for all those young entrepreneurs in agriculture, you guys have been through your first year, of course, you know, having this, business not official but you know you guys have now sure. launched it but I mean, what would be your advice to young young ag entrepreneurs out there who are sort of like unsure about what they want to do and you know what would you be what would be your advice to them
0: i say give it a try like if it, if you don't have high startup costs give it a try and see where it goes you never know what's what's gonna you know you never know what tomorrow is gonna bring right i say give it a try give it your best foot forward and reach out to any opportunities or open doors that, that come your way. Take advantage of them and, and see where it leads.
2: Yeah. And Gareth told me this, and this would probably be my, my advice, but don't dream too small when you start up because, yeah, you don't know. Like when we started this, we didn't know COVID was going to hit. And since COVID did hit, we did see increased demand. And we're very thankful that we started this segment of the business when we did because there's been great opportunity. But, yeah, don't don't dream too small and – um, I, I think the other probably weakness that all farmers, including well, definitely me, <laughs> have, or um, we don't like to market. Market isn't the first thing, isn't our natural skill set, right? But I do that. It, but in retail, that is a very key part. So, um, making sure you are willing to market and figuring out a good strategy for that is very key.
1: Sure. Have you guys figured out a good strategy?
0: <laughs> I think, I think for what we had this year, I think we did well. I definitely see areas of opportunities that we want to improve on for next year. And, and no one can predict COVID. No one can predict the the backlog, but going forward, we're we want to make sure we always have beef available as, as people have interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And I'd say the one marketing home run we did, which was credit to Gareth is the website. Mm-hmm. So that was a home run.
1: Yeah, I did not talk to your dad Nelson, of course, but I mean, what does he think about all this?
2: He's for it. Um, We, or at least my goal is to someday come back to the farm, and this is a way I can uh, maybe build some capital and some additional diverse uh, d- diversify, diversify a little bit. Sure. Yep. So.
1: Sure. Have you have you started a farmland transition process then with your dad or?
2: Uh, we've discussed it. My siblings also would like to come back to the farm, and it would be great to partner with them. So we have right. a lot of discussion as far as that goes, and. Probably something we're going to more seriously look at within the coming years.
1: Sure, sure. How many brothers and sisters do you have? How many siblings do you have?
2: Yeah, so I have two sisters and one brother.
1: Thanks a lot, guys. Thank thank you. you. Good luck in your second year here. And uh, yeah, good luck to you. And I hope everything works well here in 2021. We'll be past this whole COVID thing. And, you know, we'll be on our way. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank
2: you.
1: For more information on Cedar Meadow Meats, go to www.cedarmeadowmeats.com. I have a link in the episode description as well as a link to the couple's story on the American Agriculturist website. Thanks for listening to the Young Farmer Podcast. I'm Chris Torres. See you next time.